we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, please. Genesis chapter 37 in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're at. And I'm so thankful to be back here at Tabernacle, and I sure appreciated the message this morning, both in song and the message from Daniel chapter 6, challenging us. What an encouragement that was. And uh, thank the Lord for the good preaching around here. I know you all get, uh, get it on a regular basis, and uh, what an encouragement that is and a help and a reason to keep coming back for more. Uh, I'm so thankful for it, so thankful for it. It reminds me of a, a preacher that just came into town. He had just taken a church, hadn't been there for very long. And uh, he was trying to get to know his men, so he wanted to uh, get together with them in some way, form, bowling or out for, uh, out for burgers or, or maybe just out hunting. And they, these guys were all hunters, so he went out hunting with them one day. They were all getting out of their trucks. It was early in the morning. The sun was far from coming up, and they were all getting their guns and their gear and everything. And just as they were shutting the doors quietly, they see this great big old buck just coming out of the woods oblivious to what's going on around him and they just instinctively raised their rifles and fired and that buck didn't have a chance he went down he was deader than a hammer and they were all oh man it was a wall hanger they got around that thing and were looking at it and ooh and on and it was just fantastic and and uh, then they they said <clears throat> they started arguing over who shot it and uh, I mean, every man in that party wanted to have that buck hanging on his wall. And so they were arguing about it, and it was getting a little bit intense. And just then the, the game warden pulled up, and he, he got out of his truck. He said, men, men, hey, what's going on here? I'm seeing a little potential for real trouble with your argument and your loaded guns. And what's the problem? They told him the problem. Oh, he said, no problem. He said, I went to, I went to school for things like this. He said, I, let me examine it. I know I can figure out who shot this thing. So he got down and looked at it real quick like, and he said, well, I know who shot it. They said, what do you mean you know? You hardly looked at that thing. He said, the preacher shot it. They said, how do you know the preacher shot it? You, don't, you didn't even spend five seconds looking at that. He said, that bullet one in one ear and right out the other. <laughs> So you know there's ways that these experts can tell. And uh, I hope that that's not the case ever here at Tabernacle. And I surely hope it's not the case tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for your grace, for the wonderful grace of Jesus, for the reminder just now that there's nothing greater than grace. And oh, how grateful we are that your grace has reached down and touched our lives for the way that you've reached down into our families and into our homes and Set us on the path of grace. How thankful I am for that. And I pray that you'd help us tonight to again be reminded from your word how important it is that we, that we walk with you and we let the Holy Spirit's power flow through us so that Jesus can be seen and Jesus can be exalted. How we thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross and rising from the grave. Now speak to us, I pray, in a mighty way. And we'll ask you to do this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight on the simple phrase found again and again in the book of Genesis, and Judah said, and Judah said. Now you can tell a lot about a person by their actions. You can tell a lot of person about a person by looking into their eyes. And you can certainly tell a lot about an individual by what comes out of their mouth. And we're going to look at one instance after another in the Bible tonight where Judah speaks. And the way he speaks and what he says and the context in which he says them tell a great deal about Judah and his journey to God. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 37. The story unfolds for us in Genesis 37 when Judah's father, Jacob, has sent Judah's brother on a mission to come and see how his brothers are doing. Notice, please, how our story begins. The scripture says in verse number 12, And his brother went, brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. 
Now, let's back up for context's sake so that we can see a little bit about it. In the early part of this chapter, Jacob gives Joseph, his youngest son, a coat of many colors. And he does so not for any particular reason except that he loves Joseph more than all of his brothers. Notice verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel's another name for Jacob. More than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. Watch the next phrase, verse 4. And could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, this is not Judah specific, but this is Judah and his brothers. They see that Joseph gets a little bit more favorable treatment. They see that they're not really being noticed for all their hard work. They don't have a coat of many colors in a nice uh, boskov or belt box in a nice ribbon wrapped and set at their door. And they're a little perturbed and they're a little upset. In fact, the Bible says they're a lot upset. And it says that they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Notice the Bible says in verse 5, Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Uh, and he said unto them, Here, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, it, you might read into this passage and say that Joseph must have been a, a kind of a bit of a brat bringing these dreams up. But the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, there's nothing incriminating said about Joseph's character. He and Daniel are the only two people in the Bible where a lengthy narrative is written and nothing incriminating is said about their character. So that in conclusion would have to be something totally read into the scripture. And so now we find two instances where Joseph or Judah speaks, though it's not Judah specific. It says that he hated his brother. Joseph couldn't speak peaceably unto him along with his other brothers. And then when Joseph expressed his dream, such a strange dream, and he's telling it over a bowl of lucky charms in the morning, such a strange dream I had. And he tells about how his sheaf was up and all their sheaves were bowing down and they hated him yet the more and they could not speak peaceably unto him. In fact, the Bible says, they said to him, shalt thou in indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? So the first two instances we have of Judah speaking, we find hatred revealed in his words. We find pride revealed in his words. Verse number nine, he dreams another dream and says in verse number nine, behold, I've dreamed a dream more and behold the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brother and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brother envied him, but his father observed the saying. So three times now in the words and the posture of Judah and his brothers towards Joseph, we find hatred, we find envy or jealousy, uh, we find pride, and, and, and we find a, a, a hostile attitude towards Joseph. Verse 12, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And, and, and Israel said unto Joseph, verse 13, verse number 14, he said unto them, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren and with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, uh, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. The man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Watch verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we, and we, shall, we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And we, will, we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, the only brother we know was not involved in this conversation in an agreeable sort was Reuben. 
You say, how do we know that? Because of the next verse, verse 21. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Watch now, watch now. The Bible is a practical book, and God is a common sense practical God that gets right down where we live and right down in the everyday of our life. And if you think this book is not relevant to you, you obviously are greatly ignorant of it and a great deal ignorant of its contents. This book is going to climb right down in our heart tonight and our life right now, right where we live and show us a good bit about ourselves. I was preaching in Iowa just this last uh, year and actually uh, hunting down in Missouri just south of the Iowa border. We were preaching there and we were out. We were eating in a fellowship with the church and I asked a guy named Andrew. I said, how are you doing? He had recently been in an accident that had limited his hand mobility and, and he told me. I said, tell me, Andrew, how you got saved? He said, well, my wife and I weren't married. We were living together. And he said, we were having some struggles. And he said, she'd been married before, and she had kids, and, and I'd been married before. And she said, so, he said, so we went to the pastor of this church, Pastor Josh Apple there in Clio, Iowa. And he said, and he, he started to counsel us. And uh, my wife expressed her displeasure for one reason or another with me. And, and, uh, and the pastor basically said, well, you know, she's probably right. Boy, he said, I got mad at the preacher. And, uh, and, and, and he said that he wanted me to go home and read Proverbs. Now, they haven't established that they're saved. In fact, I don't think either of them were saved at this time. I don't know many preachers that would recommend somebody read Proverbs first off. Do you, Brother Dan? I don't know many preachers that would do that. But, but this preacher did. And he said, I, I didn't have any kind of church background whatsoever. He said, so I went home and I started reading the book of Proverbs. But he said, it wasn't long after I started reading Proverbs that I realized something. I wasn't reading Proverbs. It was reading me. And he said, God used that to point me to my need. I didn't know that the Bible said such practical things. I didn't know that the Bible dealt with such plain subjects. And so plainly... And he said, God used that to point me to salvation. We ended up getting married, and we have a Christian home now. Why? Because the Bible is such a relevant, practical book. Now, I want you to see this. We're going to see what Judah says tonight. We've already said it, and it's already gotten down in where we live. Am I the only one that's ever said words of hatred or spite? Am I the only one in this room that's ever had envy and jealousy crawl up and slither its way around my neck and grab me by the throat and try to do me in? Am I the only one in this room that's ever had words of, of revenge uttered from my lips or pride? Already we have pride coming from Judah and the brothers, envy coming from Judah and the brothers, hatred coming from Judah and the brothers, and now murder. Reuben wasn't involved in this conversation. But the rest of the brothers were, and look at again what they said. Verse number 18, uh, verse number 18, they conspired against him to slay him. You think you can handle your little pet sin of hatred? Mm -hmm. You think you can handle your little pet sin of envy? You've got that little pet sin of pride. You think you can handle it? You can't. I was staying in the home of a friend of mine in Kansas some time back, and uh, his son had a pet Boa constrictor. How, how many, I want to know my audience. Who are my snake lovers here tonight? Mm -hmm. There's always a few weird ones in the bunch. Anyway, <laughs> that boa constrictor got out. Got out of the cage. And they couldn't find it. I said, I'm not, I'm not sleeping here tonight. <laughs> I, I've got more sense than that. That's all I need is some boa I mean, the devil's after me already. And it'd be just like the de devil to use my friend's son's boa constrictor to slither its way around my neck and strangle the ever-loving life out of me. No, I'm, I'm not staying here tonight. No. 
But you know, sometimes we've got to pet this and we've got to pet that and a pet's in here and a pet's in there and we think we can handle it. And we put it in this cage, we think it's just the right size, it's not too big, it's not too strong, it's not too wild and out of control, it slithers slowly and it's going to be okay. Even if we can't find it, it'll probably be all right. You, you, you keep telling yourself that. Because here they start off with pride, they went to hatred, they went to envy, and now they're all ready to conspiracy. Ready to kill their brother. And Judah was in the mix. Judah. Judah. But let's see what else the Bible says. Now Reuben rescues his brothers from his brother Joseph from, from murder. In verse number 23, it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Look at the next three words. And Judah said, all right, now we've moved from just the generalities of the brothers speaking in pride, in hatred, in envy, in conspiracy to murder to Judah specific. And Judah said, while Joseph is in the pit, while they've stripped his coat of many colors off of him, they haven't murdered him. Reuben talked them back from the cliff and from the edge of the cliff. But they, they did the next best thing. They, they roughed him up a bit. And now they're pondering what they're going to do. While they're eating some kind of Philly cheesesteak sandwich, I hope they enjoyed it on the way down. And the scripture says in verse 26, And Judah said unto his brethren, listen to his words, What, what profit is it? If we slay our brother and conceal his blood, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Whew. Now you don't have just pride and hatred and envy and conspiracy. Now you have slavery. And really greed, if you want to boil it down, Judah's words are dripping with greed. What profit is it? He's looking to gain a dollar. We didn't gain even that. 20 pieces of silver divided up amongst the brothers. They're not even all going to get two shekels of silver themselves. Or maybe they're going to put it in a special fund. Or a trust. Maybe they can start some charitable foundation with that. Maybe they, could, maybe they could go buy their kids some cotton candy at the local fair with that. Greed. Their greed didn't get them very far. And now hypocrisy. What profit is it if we kill him? I mean, what are we really going to get out of it? But look, opportunity is right there over the horizon. We could sell him into slavery. And I know what some of you young people are thinking right now. S selling my brother into slavery, is that a thing? Some of you are thinking that might be a thing. That's not a thing. This is not the point of the message, you understand. We're not trying to get you to come down to the altar and, and surrender to selling your brother into slavery. But that's what Judah did. I surrender all, Lord. I've got a, I've got a kid brother that's driving me up a wall. I'm selling him into slavery. It's dripping with greed, and it's dripping with hypocrisy. Look at what he says in verse number 27. He says, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. And our flesh. This dirty scoundrel a couple verses later was willing to kill Joseph. Now, he's good, with, he's good with solving his conscience and just selling him into slavery so that we never see him again. And Judah said, the pride of it all, the hatred of it all, the envy of it all, the conspiracy of it all, the greed of it all, and the hypocrisy of it all. But this would not be the last time that this phrase would teach us a lesson in the Bible. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 38. By the way, in the ensuing verses, uh, Reuben's going to come back, be aghast, be horrified that his brother's gone. And you study your Bible out. I think they kept 
kept it from Reuben the rest of his life until they get and discover Joseph in Egypt and Joseph discovers them. Reuben had no idea, no idea whatsoever. They kept him in the dark. So there's now it shows their words are dripping not only with pride, with hatred, with envy, with conspiracy, with greed and hypocrisy. They're grip, dripping with deceit, deception. They kept Reuben in the dark. Look at Genesis chapter 38 and let's see what the Bible says. Now, you read Genesis 37, you say, wow, boy, men are wicked. And these brothers of Joseph were wicked. And Jacob's family's got some real problems. You know, whenever you think you read about the Bible and families in the Bible, you think, oh, you know, this is so far away and this is so long ago. I mean, it just doesn't bear any relevance to our life. Well, many of the families in the Bible were dripping with dysfunction because they were dripping with flesh and their own rotten decisions and one rotten decision upon another. Let me say, if bad decisions have been made in the past, a bad decision isn't going to solve the past bad decisions. What got you into whatever mess you're in is not going to get you out of whatever mess you're in. Pride is what got you into a mess. Pride is not going to get you out of it. Anger maybe have gotten, may have gotten you into a mess, and anger is not going to get you out of it. It's going to take some spirit-filled character. It's going to take some right choices. It's going to take some righteous choices that are submitted to the Word of God that are going to help solve family problems. Well, you read Genesis 37, then you come to Genesis 38, and you say, Huh? Look at it, verse 1. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bare a son and called his name Ur. Judah is completely the focus of Genesis 38. And it is ugly. Real ugly. She has a son, Judah's wife, bears, name, bears him, calls his name Ur. Verse 4, she bears another son, bears him, calls his name Onan. Verse 5, she bears another son, calls his name Shelah. And verse number 6, and Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. So now there's a lot of time that transpires between the first few verses and verse number 6. And so he's starting to marry out his sons. He gets a wife for Ur. He gets a wife for uh, Onan. Or uh, The Bible says Judah took a wife for Ur, his name firstborn was, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Now you think about this. We've already established that Judah wasn't a Sunday school teacher in chapter 37. And he was pretty wicked. Well, how much more must Ur have been wicked? Ur, what a name for a wicked man. <laughs> and he says in verse 6, uh, he, verse 7, God slew him. In verse number 8, look at what it says. And Judah said unto Onan, this is one of the minor points, Judah said unto Onan, go in unto thy neighbor's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Well, he wasn't going to do it, and so Onan disobeyed the Lord and disobeyed his dad and God's plan. So God killed Onan, the second son. And verse number 10 says, the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in thy father's house. So now we have another instance where Judah is speaking. Then said Judah, or in Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So he tucks her away in his, uh, he tucks her away and, and, and keeps her there for a little while and says, just wait until my youngest son is grown. Verse number 12. And in process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was, was comforted and went up into his sheep shearers to Timnath, his, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her. Uh, Tamar did, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is, by the way, to Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. Her childbearing years were fast waning, and she didn't want to live her whole life without bearing a child. So she went up and sat along the way. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? She said, thy signet, thy bracelets, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. 
And she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put on her garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite. So watch now, we have Judah finding a lady along the side of the road who actually was, a, was his daughter-in-law playing the harlot. And, and she was there on purpose and he wants to come in unto her and enjoy self-indulgence. So watch here. Now we have Judah speaking to her. And what is it? Indulgence. Whew. Is there any hope for this guy? I mean, that song you sang tonight about grace, I think maybe this guy has moved a little bit beyond all that. I'm not so sure grace can touch him. He goes in, plays, uh, plays the fool and, and sleeps with Tamar. She gets pregnant. And she goes back and puts on the garments of her widowhood. Verse 20, And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. Then he asked the men, this is Judah's friend, asked the men of the place, saying, well, Where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, there's that phrase again, let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent the kid, and thou hast not found her. Well, this is Judah speaking, and it's somewhat responsible. So we've got Judah speaking, and it's responsibility. Well, that's good. We wouldn't want the whole evening to be a throwdown on Judah session. At least we know he wants to pay his bills. Verse number 24, and it came to pass about three months later, that after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, look at it, look what he says. Verse number 24, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Some of you didn't even know this was in the Bible. Bring her forth and let her be burnt. Oh, what is Judah saying now? Well, we knew first he was speaking in pride, then hatred, then envy, and then conspiracy. And then we know that he's speaking in greed and, and, and dripping with hypocrisy. And then we find him in the early part of chapter 37, and, and he's, he's, he's going on the way, and, and he's tucking his, his daughter-in-law away, really no intention, uh, just forgot her altogether. And now he's speaking to a harlot, and he's speaking in indulgence. And when we find out that she is pregnant, she has to pay, but he doesn't. He gets to go scot-free this is judah speaking this is judah speaking and it's rules for thee but not for me and by the way i just want to go on public record and say i reject the notion and the philosophy anywhere in this world and particularly amongst churches that the women have to mind but the men can act like barnyard animals that's what's happening here with that's what's happening here with judah let her be burnt. Is anybody besides me getting a little window into Judah's soul? Rotten. There might be a great big tree, but it's about to topple. Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. But she's got some capital. Look at verse 25. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, discern I pray thee, Whose are these? The signet. Well, that might be something he wore around his neck or something that he wore as a ring on his finger. And bracelets and staff. Gotcha. Now you hear me with your ears wide open and the volume turned way up. You can hide your sin for a while and you can play games with God for a while, but he's going to have the last word and someday there's going to be a payday. Someday you're going to reap what you've sown. You can only hide it for so long. And I would venture a guess that it's probably getting eaten before the judgment. And if it's not before the judgment, it will be at the judgment. You're not going to sin and get by, neither will I. Wonder what Judah's going to say now. <laughs> Scoundrel, proud man, full of envy and hatred, full of strife full of bitterness and conspiracy, full of, full of hypocrisy and greed, full of self-indulgence. Men can't live with them, can't shoot them. Wonder what he's going to say now, verse 26. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son, 
and he knew her again no more. Look at me. You know what I believe you just read? The day Judah got saved. Now, it might not be all exactly like we would pray a sinner's prayer, but at this point, Judah, for the first time that we can tell as students of the Bible, gets honest. I want to say something to you. You can't get help until you get honest. Some of us in this room right now need help, and nobody knows it. But no matter whether people know it or whether people don't know it, you can't get help until you get honest. And for the first time in Judah's life that we can tell, he got honest. And Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son. And here's evidence of his conversion. He knew her again no more. Now we're going to find in the remaining verses that there are two sons. He, she bears twins, Zerah and Perez of Tamar. And do you know what happens? He raises those twins. And those twins are listed right along with Tamar in Matthew chapter 1 in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in answer to the question, is this song that was just sung real? And is there any place you can go too far away from and outside of God's grace? No. God's grace reached down there. And I want you to see it because this isn't the end. Quickly, I want you to see where else the Bible says, and Judah said. Look at Genesis chapter 43. Would you? Genesis chapter 43 in the word of God. Now this is what happens in Genesis 40. Through 43. Genesis 39 through 43. Genesis 37, Joseph gets sold into slavery. Genesis 38 focuses entirely upon Judas. Judah. Genesis chapter 39 and following tells us the story about Joseph. Down in Egypt, he's put in Potiphar's house. Potiphar buys him into slavery and puts him in the highest, most trusted position in all the servants in his house. And he, he trusts Joseph. He doesn't even need to worry about anything except whether he's going to have rye and pastrami and a Reuben sandwich or a Philly cheesesteak. That's all he has to worry about. Joseph is in charge of everything else. And right in the middle of all that, with Joseph being exalted because he had kept his eyes on the Lord, Joseph gets uh, attacked or enticed by Potiphar's wife, who was a, a wicked, wicked woman. And she lures him into the bed, tries to lure him into the bed, and he says, nothing doing, and he gets out of there. And he is falsely accused of rape and thrown in prison for for. A long while, at least two years we know of. And so that's what Genesis chapter 39 is going to tell us about. He gets out in prison. He's there for a while. Uh, some, a butler and a baker, king's, king's servants, Pharaoh's servants are cast down in there. And uh, he, he says to him, he says, well, you guys look like you're a little heavy hearted. You, you doing okay? Oh, yeah, we had too many anchovies on our pizza last night. Boy, did we have some kind of dream going on. And they said, he said, well, tell me the dream. I, I know who can interpret dreams. And so they told him the dream. He interpreted he interpreted the dreams exactly as they were and the next few days they came to pass the baker was exalted and hung and the butler was exalted to his place of, of leadership in Pharaoh's court and in Pharaoh's house just before the butler leaves the prison Joseph says hey remember me speak of me I've done nothing to be in here. I've been falsely accused. Please bring this up to the, those in high places that can do something. And the Bible says, but the butler forgot him. Whatever hope Joseph sent out of the prison with the butler was lost because the butler wasn't reliable. Well, then Pharaoh has a dream. None of his wise men can interpret it. And as he's looking for an interpretation, the butler says, hey, I know somebody that can interpret it. He's down in prison. He interpreted my dream and the baker's dream and they came to pass exactly as he said. They said, well, what are we waiting for? Go get the man. Joseph shaved, got ready, got ready to meet the Pharaoh and he came in and the Pharaoh said, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. He told him the dream. Joseph interprets the dream. He says, there's going to be seven blessed years in, uh, in, in Egypt and there's going to be seven lean years, kind of like a Trump Biden administration. Anyway, he said, there's going to be 
seven good years and then seven bad years. And it just came by. I had to take it. He said, uh, he said there's going to be seven good years and seven bad years. He said, you better save up during the seven years of good so that you can be ready for the seven bad years. And, uh, and the king said, can we find such a one as this is? A man in, who's the spirit of, in whom the spirit of God is. He said, hey, he said, I want you to be in charge. So he put Joseph the day that he took him out of prison to be the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And whatever Joseph said was done. Only in the throne, Pharaoh said, will I be greater than thou. Well, they had seven years of blessing and it was flourishing and it was wonderful. And then came the seven years of leanness. Into that seven years of leanness, not just Egypt feels it, but watch me now, Canaan feels it. Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt because they heard word on the news wires that they had some supply. And that's where it picks up. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 43 in verse number 1. And the famine was sore in the land. Those boys went down. They got their corn sacks full. They were sent back home. The money that they paid for the corn was put in their sacks. And they got back home. And Judah said, how'd it go? They said, it it was, uh, we don't know what just happened. It was good. It was good. Yeah, yeah, look at all the corn sacks we got. We're going to feed the family. But it was strange. Strange, yeah, they took one of our brothers and put him in captivity. And then the guy in charge down there was asking us all kinds of crap questions. And he asked us who our father was. And he asked us if we had any other brothers. And we told him. And Judah said, J Jacob said, why'd you tell him? Why'd you tell him you had other brothers? Well, we just told him because he was asking us specifically. They said, he said, well, what else? They said, well, if you come back again, don't plan on getting anything till you bring your younger brother. Verse number one, and the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they'd eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel, that's Jacob, said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Ah, this is Judah now the saved man. This is Judah now the converted man. The Judah that was the scoundrel before and the man proud and hateful and mean and envious and conspiratorial. The man that was full of, of jealousy and greed and hypocrisy. That same man that was full of self-indulgence and then finally got honest and had to raise his own grandkids that he had fathered with his own daughter-in-law. Twins. Judah speaking now. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. That's why I know he got saved back in Genesis 37, chapter 38. Why? Because an unsaved man wouldn't act like this. This is the same Judah that said earlier, let us sell him into slavery of his youngest brother. And now when it comes to Benjamin, their very youngest brother who had been born a little later, then, then he says, I'll be surety for him. Verse 11, and their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, do this, take of the best fruits in the land in your vessel and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh and nuts and almonds and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again to your hand. Peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again unto the man and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin if I be bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. And the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph and when Joseph saw Benjamin with him he said to the ruler of his house bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall, these men shall die with, dine with me at noon and the man did as Joseph bade and the man brought the men into Joseph's house 
And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they, they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks. At, at first, at time are we brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and for our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, oh, oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sacks, our money in full weight. And we have brought it again in our hand and other money have we brought brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, peace be to you. Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. Simeon, who they had taken as prisoner, Joseph had, in the first place. They brought Simeon out unto him. That, imagine that was some kind of a reunion. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender, and they made ready the present against Joseph. Came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house, and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Aha! Joseph's dream comes to pass. I guess when God gives someone a dream, it's not just foolhardy. I guess when God gives someone a vision and someone a dream, it's not just wind in, in the ocean. I guess it's more than just something, uh, just more, more than just something minor. God gave Joseph a dream, but it was years before God would let Joseph see that dream fulfilled. Verse number 20, uh, verse 27, he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom ye spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there, and washed his face, and went out and refrained himself, and said, Set on bread. And they set on for himself, for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians which did eat with them by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. You see what's happening? Joseph is, he knows, and he's revealing bit by bit that he knows. In the first time they came to visit, he's letting them know that they have a father. He's asking them about his father. And that they have a brother. He's asking about their brother. Now he knows exactly who they are and where they are. He sets Reuben at the first, and then each one down in order all the way to Benjamin. And they said, this man surely can divine. Then they, he gives Benjamin a heaping portion, way more than all the rest. He's checking the barometers to see whether they're still bitten by the green-eyed monster of envy. And then he sends them back with sacks of corn and his silver charger in Benjamin's cup, in Benjamin's sack. Ah, that's what's going to happen. It says in verse number uh, verse number, chapter 44. Let's look at it. Bear with me now. Bear with me. This is about to wrap up in some crazy, beautiful story. Look at what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 44. Look at what it says. In Genesis chapter 44, he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry, put every man's money in his sack's mouth, put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, in his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away. They and their asses, they got a little bit of a head start. And Joseph said, go get them. Go get them, boys. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his servant, a steward up, follow after the men. When thou dost overtake them, say unto them, wherefore have ye rewarded me evil for good? Is not this in which my Lord drinketh, this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth, ye have done evil in so doing. So the steward gets out there. He told them that. And they said, we we, we be honest men. Look at what their words were in verse number, uh, four, verse number nine. With whomsoever of thy servant, if be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. Do you see? They said, we wouldn't do this. Look at what they said in verse number seven. They said unto him, wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servant should do this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouth. We brought again. How then shall, could we steal it out of my Lord's house, silver or gold? He says, and now whomsoever this with him it be found, let him be the servant of my Lord. In verse 10, he said, now also let it be according unto your words. So they take their sacks down. They open them up. They reach down their sword. Nothing. 
Reuben's good. Nothing. Simeon, Levi, Judah, they go all the way through all these brothers. And now by this time, they're wrapping their sacks up and putting them back on their donkeys and on their donkeys and their camels and say, see, we told you so. And he opens Benjamin's sack just like he'd done with all the others and clang. Can you imagine what that scene looked like? All the guys who are tying their sacks mouths are looking and they go, And Benjamin goes, <laughs> they're caught red-handed. I mean, he didn't know. He wasn't the one that did it. They, oh, they were upset. Verse number 13, they rent their clothes. This is the worst thing that could happen. Dad's going to go down to his grave grieving. We thought something like this might happen. He saw it coming before we did. They rent their clothes and they laid it every man in his ass and returned to the city and Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house for he was yet there and they fell before him on the ground and Joseph said unto them, what deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye or know ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine. I can see things like this. And Judah said. Do you get the idea maybe Judah had come to be default leader of the whole clan? Reuben was unstable as water. Simeon and Levi had their place, but boy, they had done some dastardly deeds in their past. Judah somehow seems to be the responsible one. Look at what he says and weep as you do. What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Do you know what I think he was speaking of way back when they sold Joseph into slavery? Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. In other words, he's saying, we'll be your servants. This is the solution. We'll be your servants. Don't take Benjamin. He said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Then Judah came near unto him. Read these words. And said, oh, my Lord. Let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loved him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Except your younger brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. If our youngest brother be with us, then we, will we go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the last life it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us then he will die and thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave for thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father saying if I bring him not unto thee then I shall bear the blame to my father forever read these next words and weep now therefore I pray thee let thy servant abide instead of the land a bondman to my lord and let the lad go up with his brethren, for how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? As peradventure, I see the evil that shall come on my father. Are you watching me? Look right here. Judah had seen his father weep once. Tear his clothes, put dust and ashes on his head, weeping over Joseph who was not Surely, without doubt, an evil beast had devoured him. And Judah knew all along it was a scam. And he had lived under that lie. And he had deceived his father for years and never even told his older brother Reuben. And now, when he's lived a little, 
when he's come to grips with his own wicked heart, when he's had to get right, and I believe get saved in Genesis 38, and now assume responsibility for the lad, now when it looks like the lad is going to be in prison and be a servant to this leader, he says, let me be forever your servant and send my brother and his brethren back. What say you? I'd say grace has pretty much got a hold of Judah. Wouldn't you? I'd say that Judah is a changed man. Wouldn't you? And I'd say that when Judah says this in Genesis chapter number 44 and says, let me, I pray thee, be your bondman. Let my brother and my brethren go back. He shows that when he speaks, he is gripped by grace. You see, I believe God's grace is something that is wonderful. And I would agree with the songwriter that God's grace is something that is marvelous and infinite and matchless. And I would agree with the young lady that sang just before the message that there's no place that's too far and no valley that's too deep and no shadow that's too dark that God's grace can't reach in there because now we find Judah gripped by grace. And when Jacob in the end comes down and sees Joseph and he wraps his arms around Joseph, he's going to someday give a commendation to Judah. And he's going to refer to the lion of Judah. And it's going to be through Judah, not the first son, not the second son, not the third son, but the fourth son that is going to be the heir or the predecessor to the Savior. And Jesus will be born a lion, not of the tribe of Levi or of Simeon or Gad or Asher or Reuben, but a lion of the tribe of Judah. You said, preacher, what's your point? My point is that maybe you've said some things that were proud, envious, wicked, jealous, murderous, hypocritical, in the past. But if tonight you'll get honest with God, there's nowhere you can go but up. If tonight you'll get saved if you're lost, there's nowhere to go but up. If tonight you'll quit trying to manipulate and hold on to things according to your grip and you'll fall into the grip of God's grace, there's nowhere to go but up. And now we've got a story of Judah. Judah, a wicked man where an entire chapter is devoted to his wickedness. And he's willing to bear all the weight and take the hit because he has allowed himself to fall in the grip of God's grace. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.